This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 173 here in the first week of August. Wow, easy for me to say. Nick Max and Noah Grant, what are you laughing about? Once you... <laughs> You've got the state fair, and then it's back to uh, mediocre humdrum sadness that is accustomed to all Minnesotans around this time. So I don't know why you're smiling so much, but yeah, or maybe you're not smiling at all. But nonetheless, uh, I got him uncomfortable. Good. (laughs) (laughs) No, that 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 was about three and a half years ago. But nonetheless, I. Bulldogs fans have been uncomfortable with our ranking on the men's side, so we'll make up for it a little bit on the women's side here. We have our Duluth Bulldogs at number four in the WCHA, a team that really could ha- finish much higher than where we have them, by the way. Um, really good opportunity for them, although a bit of roster turnover, losing some veteran experience for them as well, too, so we'll talk about that. Uh, and then the other part of the show, speaking of this, we talked about the great development camp last week that Logan Cooley had by the way, um, and I've kind of heard this discussion over the past week too. I just go into hockey and other things, talking about uh, you know players that are attending all these development camps, especially at a young age, trying to make that Division One level, trying to play in the NCHC, the WCHA, but really talking about how you balance that with the rest of your summer. As we've gone through, you know, years and years, we've started to see players push their sport to a full-time thing and you know the process is how do you balance that and is that really a good idea kind of a fun little development topic um before you get to the status of logan cooley where you get to exit your development camp and maybe play um in the national hockey league so uh, we'll start episode 173 as we always do with center ice view news and notes presented by huskiesillustrated.com and the soda pod Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. episode 173 main portion of the show in the den noah grant joined by nick maxson as always here in the first weeks of august and nick uh 
we probably need a development camp ourselves the way we do our show, even though we've been doing yeah. it for a couple of years. But I mean, the conversation really talks about it, and we're starting to see a, a fantastic thing. I think you're starting to see a lot more women's development camps and WCHA style things too. A lot of players coming out of the WCHA, you know, getting summer skating sessions and getting goaltending development and getting some of those, you know, fine details of the game. Uh, you know, first of all, let's kind of start there. Obviously, great to be in a development camp, you know, if you can afford it, if you can spend the money, if you, you know, if you feel like it's a good fit for your child. I guess when you're looking for a development camp, not necessarily at the higher level, because those things almost kind of come to you depending on how good of a player you are, but especially younger players, what should they really kind of be looking out for, uh, you know, when you're thinking about a development camp? I remember being a kid. I hated power skating. I look back 10 years later and went, man, I wish I would have done all that power skating because it probably would have made a big difference. Yeah. Uh, you're looking for a place that's going to challenge, right? You're looking for a place that's going to push you to the limit. Um, you know, to your, to your point with power skating, right? Is it the most glorious thing in the world? But how much is a young kid, right? And, and it's easy now looking back, right? Um, how much do we think we lost in terms of our development just because we did nothing for a few months? Right. Right. So you're looking for a camp that's going to obviously teach some of those skill-based things, but really, you know, get you in the conditioning and then more so train teaching some of these habits, right? And being able to take stuff home with you. I think that's the big thing, right? Um, some of the dry land stuff, right? Some stick handling drills. Also, maybe some... Uh, weightlifting techniques like you know wrist curls you know just it, it sounds simple to us right Noah but really when you're a kid you you you, you sometimes overlook the simple things right um, and I think it's important that conditioning is part of it those small skill set things especially in today's game where you know you're gonna have to be able to stick handle a phone booth if you're gonna be competitive you just kind of have to right um, you know and be able to sort of be able to mold those things to you know so that way even when you leave the development camp there's things you can still take with you, things that you can still work on. So that way you're ready when the season comes, right? And more so, you don't feel like you played the season, you kind of went like down, then you're having to kind of make up for it again. You're right. continuing on this upward trajectory with your game development. Even from the end of the previous season, that's supposed to be a springboard to keep you going up, right? So find a place that challenges and more so gives you something to challenge yourself when you get away from the development camp, because really when it comes down to it, if you're, uh, well, I'm sure your parents will do the same thing. If I'm practicing for an hour, someone's doing it for two. Yeah, exactly. And giving yourself some grace to understanding that, you know, when you're seven, eight, nine, you don't exactly have to be doing arm curls for the girls. Right. I mean, like it's, you know, understanding oh. where, where, well, I mean, you can, I guess, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's probably where I went wrong. Uh, but <laughs> I I definitely went wrong. <laughs> you also you also look on the other side of things though, where um, where are you at in the development process? If you're seven, eight, nine, like you said, you probably don't need to be doing sprints all the time in your driveway. No. You need to be focusing a little bit more, maybe on your hand, shooting 200, 300, 400 pucks a day potentially, or shooting three times a week at least, just doing something along those lines. You've got to be able to crawl before you can walk, before you're able to run. We've talked about this before, even during season. These coaches who they take, they take these five, six, seven year olds and they're doing scrimmages, but trying to teach them systems. It's like, no, get them into the skill set, teach them how to stick handle, how to position their feet, how to make these moves. Then you can scrimmage. Then you can let them kind of play pond hockey, learn the hockey IQ side of things. Then you can talk about systems when they do it almost naturally without even thinking on the other side of things. 
And you said this almost perfectly is that, you know, think about the difference in today's generation from when we used to do nothing. And that's the caveat is I don't think that you need to go to seven development camps in the summer and be playing hockey all year round, but you shouldn't be doing nothing. And Nick, it's, it's not necessarily about playing hockey. It's about doing something. What are some things that players should be doing in addition to maybe they have some off days, maybe they only shoot pucks two days a week, maybe they take a month, quote unquote, off. What are some things that you would recommend that they would be doing if they're trying to do not hockey, but trying to not do nothing? Conditioning, right? It's running, it's roller skating, uh, cardio, right? Again, Legs feed the wolves, right? Come on, Herb Brooks. So uh, there you go. No way. (laughs) Uh, I I am froze on the audio edition. I'm wearing a uh, legs feed the wolf on real shirt. So and and for those who aren't on the YouTube thing, you can't see that he had to pull a shirt up, which was, you know, I'm surprised at my glass break. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the day, that it, it does come down to conditioning, right? It's about being, you know, an athlete. It's about nutrition too, right? So, uh, cause at the end of the day, you had it right. It when I was growing up, it was there, but it was more so the kids who maybe had, shall we say, chances beyond high school or maybe beyond college. That's what they stuck to. Everybody else was enjoying their summer, right? Uh, yeah. Today's day and age, there's a lot more that are going. No, I really want a chance at the NHL or at a Division One college scholarship. Uh, so I need to commit to this. Um, I, I do think that there's a balance, right, Noah? As we yeah. mentioned, I think we're going to get to this too. That is. Yeah, do some things, right? It's whether it's shooting pucks one day, whether it's maybe going for a, a casual run, as long as you're staying active, I think that's important, yeah. right? And it, and it doesn't have to suck, right? Like, I mean, like if oh, you if you right. love golfing with your buddies, if you love playing baseball in the summer, go do those things. Be a multi sport athlete. Historically, multi sport athletes do better. And you know, it, you know, you'll realize as you go later on the things you're deficient at. The reality of the matter is, especially on the men's side, guys that are playing D1, guys that are playing in the NHL, some of them have that kind of natural talent, that natural athletic ability, that kind of like, I don't want to say a God-given body, but it's like they have the the kind of base plate to work with where not to say that if you aren't one of those players, that if you don't work hard and do those things that you won't get to that point, because I think there's a lot to be said for players that recognize that they're a little bit skill deficient or cardio deficient or whatever compared to other players. And sometimes they work harder and bring a more consistent effort level than guys that are naturally skilled or naturally athletic. But you know, you kind of have to build that foundation from the start. And when you're seven, eight, nine years old, you're out playing baseball, you're out golfing, you're out swimming, you're out running around with your buddies, you know, playing football, doing whatever it is. And I think that that's exactly what you're trying to say is, you know, sometimes when you do things like, for example, I love racquetball, which if you've never done racquetball is an unbelievable full body sport that you can play for hours. If you're just playing doubles racquetball, um, but it's fun, right? You realize that you're working hard, but you're not really thinking about that. You're competitive. You're you know, you're playing with your buddies, whatever it is. Like it doesn't have to suck. Like you, you don't have to be, you know, doing plyo on the ladder every day instead of shooting pucks. But like, you know, get out and do something. Don't be sitting around, you know. And I think, especially in today's generation, Nick, the big difference between you know generations previous to us is um, versus or previous to them, I should say, is they they're on their phones all the time they're on their screens which you know i'm a huge video gamer myself i love it but i also balance it with other things in my life it's you know what i only have maybe an hour or two 
every other day or every third day to do that. I'm not sitting in front of a screen the entire time. And if you're at that age where you don't have a job yet, but you're able to ride your bike around town, go meet up with your buddies, whatever it is, just do something, just be active. Absolutely. So anything else you kind of want to add on that, Nick? Yeah. And and like I said before, I still think you have to, you know, with that balance, right. You got to be able to kick back and have fun here and there. Again, the summers, especially up here in the Midwest, they come and go so quick. And before you know it, uh, just when you think, oh, my gosh, the season's done, guess what? You're heading to whether it's a you know captain's practice or essentially your preseason, you know, organized team activities for college. Right. Um, it happens quick. So definitely, you know, balance the work and play. Right. Definitely get out there, enjoy the summer, travel around, do whatever it is, but also make sure that you're at least, you know, doing some things that are active, keeping yourself at least in you know some decent shape. So that way, you know, when the next season comes around, ready to rock and roll yeah and be serious about it when you are at work quote quote unquote and if you are at a place that does have ice because i didn't have ice growing up in the summer so we had to travel if you have a chance to skate once maybe twice a week take that opportunity absolutely like go skate you know especially if you're skating with your buddies that you also golf and play baseball with that's a great um great group to get started there but you know don't neglect it entirely if you have the opportunity but you also don't need to shell thousands of dollars and you know spend your entire summer slaving away and not actually have a summer because uh everyone wants to grow up and be an adult so quickly but then when you're an adult all you want to be is a nine-year-old kid during the summer hanging out on the beach so um certainly enjoy it while you can and uh one day we might be talking about you on the huskies warming house podcast in the nchc or wcha we start on the women's side uh this week nick at number four the minnesota duluth bulldogs and uh nick this is a team that finished in this spot 54 points they were six shy of wisconsin in third and they were almost a country mile i believe it was uh what would it be 18 points 14, 14. Yeah. Math. I don't know. Math Uh, (laughs) from, from St. Cloud uh, on the other side of things uh, in the visiting position in terms of home ice for the WCHA, Nick, uh, what did we see from this team that had a very successful season for the second year in a row? Uh, Holy cow scoring touch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Right. Uh, They got a lot of scoring throughout their lineup. Uh, That to me was something that, you know, you're, you really sort of admire plus a lot of winning streaks. Um, that's the other thing. Uh, I think at one point, uh, from December all the way through January, they had, I think they had won like, uh, nine of 10, um, and they weren't losing much. In fact, you talk about losses. They were pretty much all the teams above them, really. Um, a loss at Ohio state, uh, to open up in October losses at Minnesota, Ohio state again, again, the Gophers, then Ohio state, Minnesota, right? They really did not lose to a team below them. So that's why they sort of anchored that fourth spot. And you mentioned math earlier, 18 points clear of St. Cloud, 14 points short of the Gophers for second place, uh, just in case that was a little bit obscure earlier. But again, they were getting scored up and down their lineup. Uh, They played with pace. Um, They were aggressive in terms of getting the pucks to the net, and they followed up, right? They were a grease pan team. Um, A lot of skill, and of course, as we know with uh, Bulldogs, Goaltending was pretty good too, so uh, they had they had it all. Um, they were just essentially missing those elite 
game-breaking type players that some of these other three teams above them, which I'm sure uh, most of those who follow the women's side in WCHA know exactly who we're talking about. Um, but they're not that far away. Again, more of a dangerous team is when you score by committee uh, rather than have you know those couple game-breakers and maybe a bit of a gap between them. Uh, this Bulldog team is coached very well um, on all ends of the ice, and uh, it showed. Um, and they had a really good, successful season. Again, they're their step to getting into that Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio state territory isn't much. And uh, judging by some, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this. Some of the uh, incoming players, as well as the players that are staying, this has become a destination for a women's hockey player to go and compete and uh, compete for not just a good regular season, but also for a deep NCAA playoff run. Yeah, certainly had one last season, of course, 26-10-3, like you mentioned, overall 17-8-3 in the conference. They had, uh, crazy enough, Nick, they had uh, 10 games that went to overtime last season, 5-2-3 in those games, 7-7 seven and seven in one goal contest. When they outshot their opponent, they were 22-3-3. So you talk about driving possession, like you mentioned, they did not play lower than their skill set. They did not struggle with teams below them for the most part. So, I mean, you, you look at the teams that they, they challenged. I mean, they were right in the mix with those top three teams in the WCHA. They had a great year. Uh, Nick, uh, when leading after one or after two, they were 15-0 and 19-1-2, and and respectively. So, And when they were tied, 7-6-3 and three, and 5-0-1 oh, after the second period with a tie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, talk well, about closing. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> I, we keep ripping on them, but it's like all the things that the women's team was able to do this season for the Bulldogs is things oh that gosh. we've been we've been accustomed to on the men's side that they would have liked to have pulled yeah. back. Yeah, I mean that's that's just kind of what they bring to the table. How about this, Nick? How about this for math? And I got to pull up my calculator because Lord knows that I will get this wrong because this is a huge deficit here, Nick. Out shooting their opponents by five hundred and sixty-seven shots last season, outscoring them one. Whoa. <laughs> outscoring them 125 to 53 penalty kill just shy of 89% and a power play basically at 26%. And this team finished fourth in the WCHA, Nick. Yep. They had a pretty good year uh, last season. I think let's just put it that way. Four and zero, of course, against the Huskies. Uh, they fell three to nothing in the Frozen Four semifinal, basically to get to that championship game uh, against Minnesota. So, uh, Nick, uh, obviously a great year, nine and two for their non-conference schedule. Um, yeah, a great splits home and away. I, I think there's no doubt about that. This team is a very well-oiled machine. Part of that is their coaching staff, which has four people that um, two of them have been there a long time, third that has a great pedigree, especially as a player, and a fourth that was a former Bulldog that uh, her claim to fame was actually was actually disrupting um, the assistant coach in uh, terms of her uh, soiree back to the Olympic international stage. Yeah, so let's you know kind of go top to bottom, right? Uh, head coach uh, Mara Kralik entering her tenth season, um, eighth ever WCHA coach to hit 150 wins. Um, of course, uh, a title game in 20 and 2022, two Frozen Fours, five NCAA postseason wins entering last season, a career record of 153 at 121 before the start of last year. So, I mean, again, you talk about um, the success of the Bulldogs more recently than it has been, say, in years past, but they have certainly catapulted that program to uh, on a different level. They really have for the past two or three years. And again, we don't expect them to uh, fare any differently this year. A big reason why we have them in the top four 
yep. in a very top-heavy WCHA, right? Uh, you talked about assistant coach uh, Laura Bellamy, again, and also entering her 10th season. Uh, 2022 recipient of the Women's Ice Hockey Assistant Coach Award, and this is coming from the American Hockey Coaches Association. Uh, nine All-Americans under her tenure. Uh, she was a dual Denfield grad, so she's a local girl. Um, and then uh, going on to uh, graduate from Harvard, 60-25-7, um, and seven, a record as a goaltender. That's pretty damn good. Uh, yeah. So are these numbers. Uh, 1.82 goals against average, uh, a 915 same percentage. And how about this? 19 shutouts yeah. in her Harvard career. Pretty darn good. Um, we're going to talk about the disruptor, or shall we say someone who kind of stole the limelight on uh, just a couple. But uh, other assistant coach, Laura Schuler, uh, she's going to be entering her fourth season. Uh, as a player, five uh, NCAA tournament appearances, um, Hockey Canada gold medals, uh, 98, 92, 97, and uh, the 97 Worlds, excuse me, uh, among four more gold and silver and other appearances. Uh, 1998 Olympic silver medalist, later their head coach of the 2018 Olympic team that won silver, who lost 3-2 to two to the U.S. Um, how about golds and silvers between the U.S. and Canada in terms of women's hockey. How about this? The volunteer goaltending coach, most people will recognize his name, Maddie Rooney. Yes, if you follow women's hockey, you don't live under a rock, you know who this is, right? She was the bedrock of the 2018 gold medal uh, for the U.S. and the uh, the Winter Olympics. First U.S. gold since 1998. How about that, hmm. right? Huh. Interesting, right? <laughs> Um, all-time leader for uh, the Bulldogs with 3,449 saves, as well as over 7,200 playing minutes. So uh, she, again, a uh, volunteer goaltending coach, uh, uh, also kind of a goaltending consultant, I would imagine, more for the recruiting type side of the game. But uh, let's just say this. That's a lot of coaching pedigree that the Bulldogs had behind their bench. That's no question. Yeah, poor Laura Schuler though. At Hockey Canada, not many times that they end up with silver, especially on the women's side, oh. both coaching or playing-wise. And unfortunately, she was on the back end of the last couple. Jeez, that's tough. Um, but yeah, obviously, great, bringing a great pedigree. One of uh, the great players uh, in Hockey Canada tenure in the mid-'90s. I mean, some great numbers coming from her yeah. um, and great coaching pedigree that she's gone through as well, too. And, you know, I, I think when you think about this coaching staff too and i mean maddie rooney just continues to obviously elevate that staff even further especially at yeah. well the goaltending position but you have two netminders that are able to give advice to these goaltenders and i think you know we've talked about this in the wcha especially with the potential departure now of, i believe of emma soderberg and blanca skadova um in net for the bulldogs here uh, getting young goaltenders acclimated and up to speed can make such a huge difference. We've seen it on the St. Cloud side for women's hockey. If you have a good goaltender or two, you can really make or break hockey games in the WCHA. That becomes the difference between getting a home ice spot or not, between getting fourth place or challenging Minnesota, Ohio State, Wisconsin in that top three. And how about this? And this is not an angle we talk about a lot, Noah, and that is goaltenders not only provide insight to the goaltenders, but how about this? They can provide some areas for the forwards too, right? Yep. Is, you know, they can provide a little insight as to, you know, when you're coming on the ice in this situation, this is what's going through my head. This is what I'm anticipating. And it gives their forward group things to think about, right? Because again, we talk about uh, today's game and the anticipation, right? And trying to be a step ahead goaltending is the same. It's, it's no different. It's maybe just more disguised in yeah. terms of you can't really, you know, maybe follow what in terms of a bullet point system, but 
the thought process is the same, right? Well, you know, what's coming next? You know, what's my responsibility? And, you know, what are the chances? It's, it's almost like you're kind of card counting, right? What's the odds as the play is developing in front of me where that puck is going to go um, in terms of is it coming to me or is it going to be moved to a different area of the ice? You know, what are they trying to do? And more so trying to read to the deception, right? So um, I, I think goaltenders of their accolades can provide a lot to the offense in terms of, hey, this is how maybe you can, you know, put a goaltender into a spot where they're kind of guessing or maybe they're off balance because, you know, in this particular setup or if you're coming in the house like this and the defenseman is off their mark, now I have a choice to make. And if you either wait a second longer or maybe you make a pass earlier, you know, then I'm kind of caught in between. This is how you can open up scoring chances. So and and I think that's an area that doesn't get talked about enough. And no question, two former Olympians with two really good programs can provide that insight to the forward group as well. Yeah. And you talked about, uh, you know, goaltenders, what they see and also the development process when you're working on things in the summer. One of the things that I've noticed, too, and I have a lot of fun with when we're just skating locally with some of these guys that come back from the USHL or, or, you know, the null for the summer is a lot of goaltenders necessarily aren't prepared for that sharp angle shot, that perfectly placed selection where you just give them an opportunity. You put it off the back of their leg, you know, off the back of their head sometimes, although be careful in a summer skate, you know, depending on how hard you're going to shoot that puck. might anger some people, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you can be creative about things where netminers think think they've got something sealed off. And if you've developed that shot and comfortable with that play, you can make plays below the goal line or these sharp angle shots where goaltenders drop down into a VH, reverse VH, whatever it is a little bit too early you can pick a spot upstairs as well too so little things that you understand about the goaltending position and i think a lot of shooters in general too not only in the wcha but in general they're um they need to get more comfortable with just sometimes turning around and putting a puck through a screen, turning around and firing a puck, just being comfortable putting pucks on net because a lot of times goaltenders will mention the times they feel the most uncomfortable are when shooters have an opportunity and they pass it up. And then you talk to them and they're like, man, you know, I know it was from far out, but I had three bodies in front of me. If you would have just floated a puck towards me, even from the half wall here, like I would have, I wouldn't have seen it. I wouldn't have tracked it. You would have either put it in the net or it would have kind of created a rebound. It would have created havoc in front of me. And it's, I think, you know, power play, especially two double screens in front, just simply working on the skill set of just getting pucks through, just yeah. finding lanes to float. Puck. It doesn't have to be a hard shot. It just has to have eyes. And I think uh, having a couple of goaltenders to talk you through that is really important. Nick, I think you wanted to kind of add something on that because as a former shooter myself, I found that half of my goals were just simply by picking a side of the net and trying to get it through a couple of bodies and the goaltender, for whatever reason, just didn't pick it up cleanly. That's part of it. The other part of it is sometimes you can read the goaltender's positioning, right? How often, yeah. uh, Noah, that if you're maybe in a sharp angle and sometimes the goaltender's cheating a bit, right? Sometimes, you know, maybe they're hugging the post, but they're not square to you, right? Um, right. You know, they're kind of off and maybe focusing on the, the area of the ice that's in front of them. That's the most dangerous area of the ice, but the puck, is nowhere near that, right? Sometimes you can surprise a goaltender just with some simple, like, there's no way he'll shoot it there. Um, how many times have you watched an NHL game where, you know, you hear the phrase from a broadcaster, everybody in the ring thought he was going to shoot it there, right? right. Sometimes even just, a, you know, when we talk about, you know, dipping the shoulder as a shooter, or, or maybe, you know, it's kind of like you open up the, the blade a little bit. Patrick Watt, Andrew Brunette, 2003. Yeah. 100%, right? So sometimes it's being subtle, and sometimes the subtlety is just, hanging on for an extra second because again a lot of with goaltenders and as players 
with the puck, right? A lot of it is just kind of an automatic timing. It's just instinctual. And sometimes you just kind of go against your instinct a bit and you're gliding toward the net. You, you know, and I'm trying to think who was really Jason Spezza was really good at this, where he would come down, you'd fit like a half slap shot. The goaltender would be down in his butterfly, but they were so far out of their net that Spezza would literally just essentially float in, have the entire net to shoot at, right? He was actually really good at that. Right. It's those little subtleties that a goaltending uh, mind can sort of walk you through. Like you mentioned, it's just in, especially in these higher levels, it's not going to be the toe drag through two people. It's not going to be that reverse backhand Zorro, right? It's not going to be something like that. It's going right. to be little subtleties like that where you can read a goaltender, maybe read her positioning, or sometimes you can read her eyes to where is she looking. And then that can sometimes tell you what your next move can and should be to get a more, shall we say, high danger scoring chance, or maybe sometimes just rip the puck and they can't even see it. Yeah, or being deceptive with your own eyes too, looking off other players and then putting a quick puck on that. And like I said, being a, you mentioned it well, being not afraid to just put a puck on that, especially rolling pucks, things that are kind of yeah. difficult to track, these kind of duck end-over-end pucks because those are really difficult for goaltenders, backhand shots, anything that kind it's of... not just, possible. Yeah, just yeah. keeps the rhythm off. I always... It's funny when... You know, we work so hard to try to shoot harder and harder as players. And then goaltenders say, sometimes your shot is easier to stop than the person who doesn't shoot as hard because I can I can time it well. I yep. know that it's it's coming to me by the time I'm square versus like if you kind of disrupt that timing a little bit, it makes a big difference. Someone who this curveball. You really yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah, someone who was really good at shooting the puck, Nick, Gabby Hughes, who I paced this team last season career-wise over five seasons they're gonna miss her 214 points a 1.3 point per game average plus 123 i think that's all right 81 goals 133 assists nick um you kind of look at these other team details and also some players that they're going to be losing she's the most notable but can you kind of run us through players that were productive last season and also who are they losing uh you mentioned gabby hughes right how about Naomi rogue um is it rogue is it rogie do we know I heck if I know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm leaving it to you. How does that sound? Okay, sounds good. <laughs> uh, she had 21 points uh, on the season, 11 goals uh, to name it. Uh, Taylor Anderson, um, also a pretty good point producer herself with 13 goals, 24 points. So you talk about that's already two or three if they're top seven or eight that they're yep. losing already. Um, so already some you know, some holes in the lineup. Yeah. Um, is it, I think it's Annika Linzer. Annika Linzer, yeah. Yep. Annika Linzer, yep. Who had a pretty nice campaign herself. Uh, she was third. 17 goals, 30 points to her reckoning. So uh, that's already uh, continuing the trend here. Um, Kylie Hanley um, is missing uh, Maggie Flaherty. You mentioned Emma Soderberg as well as Blanca Skadova, both of those being goaltenders. Yeah. Maggie uh, Flaherty on the back end is going to hurt. 25 points in the season. Yeah. And, and Kylie Hanley, a two, again, 19 points uh, for her last season and again we talked about uh, the mix in the middle for the WCHA they're losing quite a bit this group is we'll talk about the incoming players but you know compare them to St. Cloud who we have right next to them in fifth the thing is St. Cloud is also in a similar boat where they're losing some really good skill players too it's going to be interesting in this middle spot with Mankato and number six as well in the WCHA we could have some intrigue in these spots you could and you know again it's you know do you how do you replace it right because you know it's when you have the upper class pedigree that this Bulgog uh, team had last year, I mean, you, you 
what you ride the wave and you know when the wave crashes as it ultimately does whether it's uh, lifting the national title trophy or uh you know earlier than that you know eventually the yep. wave comes down um at the end of it you you know you enjoy it but you also understand that you know we're not i'm not saying this is going to be a down year for them but they're going to have to be creative in terms of who's going to step up right um yeah. here's the good news a lot of the players that are just below that uh, that we've talked about had some pretty good point producing too right um you know so at the end of the day, you know, there's opportunities for a lot of these uh, younger ladies to come in and either have fill bigger roles. Um, I know we're going to talk very shortly here about the incoming additions, which is going to help supplement that, too. But uh, for yep. those sticking around in the roster, um, you know, the the world is your oyster, right? You have an opportunity to make an impression, uh, to contribute, and uh, there's going to be lots to, shall we say, um, to fight for uh, come training camp because there's going to be a lot of open spots. Yeah, lots of turnover potentially as well, too. Again, we mentioned those graduate players, like you mentioned, five forwards, a defenseman, a netminder, uh, graduate, now graduate defenseman Taylor Stewart headed to Minnesota, by the way. The yep. only one I'm unsure of, um, soon to be graduate forward, Manon McMahon, um, if she's going to return or not. Um, but other than that, if you want to put all those together, that's a potential of six forwards, two D, two goalies, 10 players potentially yep. leaving this roster. That obviously. Um, is an extreme challenge. As far as I can tell, according to Elite Prospects, uh, we've got five freshmen and I believe three transfer players coming in. Correct. Uh, so, so trying to supplement some players. Um, I, we'll get to the transfers at the bottom of this list, but um, as far as their roster makeup, I think we've got five freshmen, four sophomores, five juniors, five seniors, and potential to uh, have three graduate players possible on this roster. But I... Uh, Nick, I mean, some of these freshmen, similar to when we talked about Mankato, there's some good hockey players. Yeah. Um, oh, the headliner, as we like to say, is going to be uh, Grace. Is it Sadura, I believe? Um, this is okay statistics, I think, Noah. In 109 <laughs> games played for the Skippers of Minnetonka this past, uh, sorry, not this past, but four seasons, 154 points. That's pretty yeah. good for an, um, for an 05, the youngest player on this roster. Yeah, so yeah. she's uh, so she's going to be, uh, shall we say, uh, you know, the the player everybody's going to be watching in terms of the fr- uh, the freshman coming in, right? Um, just below her in terms of shall we say past production is going to be Peyton Holloway. Uh, she's coming over from Shattuck St. Mary's uh, again uh, last year, sixty points in fifty two games played, thirty five goals and 25 assists so uh someone that can also uh be an f- offensive force um and then for defenseman is it ida carlson i believe uh she's actually coming over um from overseas here she had um, as a defenseman 16 points in 107 uh games with is it uh, lexans yeah um at 27 games at the international level um she's more of that stay-at-home defenseman sort of that two-way person uh can obviously chip in on offense here and there, but more so the shutdown defenseman that uh, yep. UMD really does deploy well in their system. So she's going to fit right in. Uh, another defenseman here, Quinn Dunkel. Um, how about this? 29 points in 99 games played. It's a little bit more offensive acumen for her uh, coming over from the U19 AAA for NAHA White. So um, again, a little bit more offensive, offensive flair to the blue line. And then one goaltender. Um, Eve is a Gascon, I believe. Uh, yeah, yes. Evie, Evie Gascon or something Evie like that. Gascon yeah. or whatnot. Um, if I have butchered that, please send me a, send me a link. I, if I if we had a dollar for every name that we have butchered on this show, we would we'd be on a beach somewhere. We, we wouldn't be doing our off season training. We'd be on no, a beach, would not, right? <laughs> um, 
So goaltending position, right? Uh, pretty good numbers too. 922 save percentage, 2.3 goals against average in 23 games last season. And how about this? Because this is where, you know, we can talk about stats, regular season and whatnot. But a team like Minnesota Duluth, I think, is in the conversation where I think it's expected that, again, we have them fourth to be a playoff type team. Um, this goaltender has playoff pedigree nine and two in the playoffs. Um, that's pretty good. So that means in high leverage, high emotional situations, uh, it doesn't seem like the spotlight gets there. In fact, if anything, it maybe elevates your game a bit. Yeah, it certainly does. Coming from the QCHL, St. Lawrence, the Patriots there. Um, by the way, in case anyone recognizes this name, um, it might stand out <laughs> to some. Uh, the Gatineau yep. Olympics, two games for her in 837. She was 101-1 with a 396 in the QMJHL. Yes, you heard that right, in the QMJHL. So the Bulldogs, of course, trying to supplement that goaltending position, like we mentioned. Uh, Emma Soderberg on her way out had a fantastic career for the Bulldogs, especially at the yep. later stages of her career. So uh, this Bulldogs team trying to supplement some of that offense. I like the additions for the freshmen on the back end, especially Quinn Dunkel, you know, bring a little bit of that offense as well. But uh, Grace Sedura, like you mentioned, really great point production. But that's not it, Nick. A uh, couple of tra- couple of transfers, uh, two upcoming seniors and a graduate player, uh, one of which we've known very well from the WCHA. Yep, Reese Hunt is the one that we know pretty well. Uh, former Bemidji State Beaver uh, saw her play uh, again in the uh, Hockey Day Minnesota game against St. Cloud um, on an offensively starved Bemidji State squad. She had 12 points um, yep. as forward. In fact, she was their their uh, their best point producer, um, I believe, on the yep. Beavers. Not one of the top two. Um, Good speed, um, likes to definitely drive and carry possession. She's a great ad, and uh, and is the best part. She knows the WCHA. Um, I'm very curious how she is going uh, to do, especially with maybe some some different talent around her. I think she's going to you know destroy that point total per se. Uh, and then from around it, shall we say, college hockey? How about the senior forward Olivia Wallen coming from Penn State? Um, did we mention points, points, points? Yeah, 33 points in 33, sorry, 38 games, 17 goals, 16 assists um, uh, for uh, for her in the last season. And then uh, another defenseman is, is Paula Burstrom coming from uh, the Long Island Sharks. Um, still think that that's one of the better logos in college hockey. 16 points in 27 games. That's not bad coming from uh, from LIU um, as a defenseman. Yep. Some other, you know, probably two-way defenseman can definitely put in some offense uh but another good transfer group here that seems to fit exactly what umd wants and that is you want uh shall i say good fast aggressive forwards you want the offensive acumens for your defenseman to be able to join in you want that multi-layered rush um on the attack and then more so great goaltending so it's a good well-rounded group here for these folks coming in. So eight new players joining the roster and uh, uh, it's, it's a good group. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, you talk about being able to supplement. I think this is where I, uh, where the kind of rubber met the road a little bit for this Bulldogs team is that, you have a women's program that is bringing in those five freshmen, but also bringing in those three transfers to um, kind of supplement a little bit of that. Reese Hunt, not going to jump off the page with production as well as those other two players, just depending on how they assimilate into the WCHA. But they're going to be players that are going to fill out your middle six really nicely. Good veteran players, good character players, might play in an elevated role, you know, depending on, you know, the way that camp works and the freshmen kind of develop. They're going to get an opportunity. There's no doubt about that. But 
I, I just like the transfer moves in addition to the freshmen because they went into the portal. They didn't overdo it, so to speak, but they got players that are proven at this level and are going to fit in well in multiple areas. You can have them in a top six role. You can have them in a middle six. They could be, you know, primarily third line players too. So, I mean, they have the opportunity to play in a, in a variety of different roles here. Speaking of long Island university, by the way, Nick, um, I have the schedule up for the Bulldogs women's team. It works, right? Yeah. Yeah. They start with LIU October 6th and 7th um, in Duluth at Amsoil Arena. By the way, in, in case I forgot to mention, which I know that I did, uh, 6,756 is the capacity for hockey at Amsoil. Uh, they yes, have a yeah, gorgeous rink. Absolutely. Um, I'll give, it, give that to you, Bulldogs fans. You have won that battle handily with most of the others in the NCHC and WCHA as far as buildings. Um, yep. There is one NCHC building that probably has you beat, though. Um, <laughs> however, uh, uh, you're talking Omaha, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kalamazoo, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> so Ohio State is the first matchup on the WCHA side of things. They're at home again. Nice. Similar to the men's side, they're able to start the first four games at home. Ohio State, the 13th and 14th of October, before being on the road for fourth straight, Mankato and Bemidji. So we're going to kind of get a really good feel as to where they stand compared to teams that finish lower than them in the standings in the uh, latter stages of October, moving into November. So like I said, uh, you have Mankato, Bemidji, and then St. Thomas back at home before getting the Gophers at home right before the holidays, November 17th and 18th. The holidays for the Bulldogs, Hang out at Amsoil Arena again. I swear Duluth has does such a good job with their non-conference of pulling teams into Amsoil. Uh, Colgate Friday and Saturday during Thanksgiving weekend, 601 and 301 puck drops respectively before traveling to Wisconsin to face the Badgers for the first time this upcoming season and then finishing out before the holiday break against St. Cloud State in St. Cloud, December 8th and 9th, Friday, Saturday. Uh, Nick, that's the first half of the schedule. Anything stand out to you besides the fact that uh, if they have the success that they had last season, um, hopefully some wins for the taking here, maybe a challenge, to chan- a chance to challenge the big dogs. Oddball for you. I'm actually intrigued about October 20th and 21st against Mankato. I'm curious to see how the Mavs bring their freshman class that they brought in and how they match up against the Bulldogs. To me, it's, it's a home heavy schedule. Uh, it's that first half. In fact, they do six in a row um, at home uh, to essentially finish out the calendar 2023 year, uh, St. Thomas, the Gophers and Colgate respectively, which means they're going to be on the road a lot the second half of the year. Right. And also, I mean, how about this? You go from LAU right to um, a team that we're going to talk about at some point during our preview. That's Ohio state. Um, they're, Pretty good. We'll put it that way. They um, did well last year. So, um, you know, you, I don't want to say and, and they and they got better. Oh, my and God. They got better. Yeah. So <laughs> at, at the end of it, um, it, that's that's an early test. Right. And I think for for Duluth, you welcome that. Right. And it's it's going to be tough again with Duluth. Uh, they're losing a lot of their veteran presence. So for the younger Bulldogs that are going to be coming in and, and playing this matchup, um, it's going to be a little bit of a shock, I think. Or if you come in and playing confident and just rise to it, 
maybe you surprise somebody, right? But it's going to be one of those, you know, welcome to college hockey for some of these freshmen or welcome to UMD, right? Uh, for those transfers who uh, aren't familiar with the WCHA, uh, that's going to be one heck of a matchup. And, you know, regardless of what happens in that, uh, certainly you're going to set the tone for the rest of the season, you know, regardless of how that ends up. I think it's a good way to just kind of get the engines turning. Uh, so to me, you got to take advantage of this first half. You know, you just have to. There's some tough matchups, but you got a lot of home ice. You're going to be on the road a lot the second half. We'll discuss specifics here in a second. But that to me is what sticks out is that you have a lot of opportunities to play in your home fans um, a lot. And you need to make uh, you need to make them uh, make home ice uh, a dangerous place to play. On the road is exactly it. Uh, playing a team to start the second half of the season that has had great success on the women's and especially on the men's side as of recent. Yep. January 5th and 6th in Hamden, Connecticut, the Quinnipiac Bobcats are the destination to start off the second half of the season. Fun little road trip to the East Coast there. That'll be a good time. Uh, and then Bemidji State, January 12th and 13th at home um, before traveling on the road to face Ohio State, the Buckeyes in the early portions of the second half, hosting Wisconsin at the tail end of January at home. Actually, a four-game homestand here still somehow. Yeah. Uh, Mankato again to start February before being on the road against St. Thomas. They host St. Cloud in the middle of February and then on the road against Minnesota. So actually maybe escaping a little bit more. I think that non-conference schedule, they were able to pull a little bit more home games than maybe we anticipated. But um, a bit of a quick dash to the second half finish of the season here. That Quinnipiac trip, Nick, it's going to be absolutely exciting. And they do have the yeah. Huskies for the second to last matchup of the regular season. Hopefully St. Cloud is ready for that one. That one, of course, in Duluth. Yeah. Um, one, two matchups we forgot to mention is it's St. Cloud on the road and then it's uh, Wisconsin and then Quinnipiac. So they got six straight on the road, uh, December one and two, December eight, and then January 5th and six after the holiday break. So, yeah. um, yeah, so they do kind of make up for it. Six at home, six away. That's, that's a tough stretch. I mean, yeah. you know, other stuff. To travel, I mean, going out to uh, to Quinnipiac again on the East Coast, that's always kind of fun to get out um, to uh, Hamden, Connecticut, and just kind of be able to travel a little bit differently, too. I think that's kind of exciting. Yeah, um, you, you can kind of get away with in the WCHA to be on the road, but close to home a little bit, too, which is nice. So, yeah, it is. So, uh, but then again, you get right back to it, right? Once you get uh, uh, back from the East Coast, Bemidji State, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Minnesota State, St. Thomas, St. Cloud, and the Gophers, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, um, we it sounds like a broken record, Noah, but at the end of it, um, for both the NCAC and the WCHA, the first halves are really, really important because at the end of it, it's very, very tough to play catch-up in this league. Uh, and number two, uh, there really isn't easy outs. There just isn't, right? You can maybe argue Bemidji's in a bit of a different class, Uh but at the end of the day, uh, there's a lot of great competition. And yes, we have Duluth at fourth, but again, they're losing a lot of their, um, shall we say, their, their top scores from the year ago and some other years in the past. So St. Cloud is going to be right there. Minnesota State's going to be right there. Maybe St. Thomas if you know they catch fire too. So nothing's a guarantee here. And so really, second half, you got to be you know chugging on all, all cylinders here or else uh, you know, you could have been the outside looking in, but we have them fourth because again, we do feel like, you know, yes, they're losing a good chunk, but they're also replacing it. And we do feel like goaltending and the systems that they run, their coaching staff is going to help them maintain a top four spot in the WCHA. Yeah. And pulling a theme uh, historically from the men's side. And now I think is translated to the women's for Duluth is 
uh, you don't count them out until you can, right? And I think last yeah. year on the men's side was the first time that we kind of started to see Duluth falter a little bit. The women's side, anything but getting stronger and stronger. A couple of NCAA tournament and Frozen Four appearances for them. So they're right on the cusp. Can they supplement the loss of Gabby Hughes and Maggie Flaherty, for example? Though That's going to be interesting. And a couple of those players no, that they no. lose. Um, it's going to be a challenge. I just think, you know, I, I think that they maybe have the potential, like you said, to kind of be a little bit more middling, depending just based on what they're losing still. But I think St. Cloud is in the same spot. So, I mean, it's just I think yeah. the Bulldogs are still just slightly better in that regard until the Huskies really find traction for the first time as a program in quite a while after a great season for them. Uh, as far as the Bulldogs, though, they get ready for this schedule next season where you have the Wax and Wayne of home versus away. What do these Bulldogs need to do? One, to have home ice in the WCHA, but number two, to do what we thought they were even going to do last season and challenge for a top three spot. You got to refine, you got to replace the scoring, really. Um, what the big difference is in the WCHA, as it's sort of put together right now, is your top three slash top four, Ohio State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Duluth, um, they've got offensive firepower, and Duluth had that the past couple of seasons. Um, a lot of those players that provide to that are moving on to, uh, shall we say, cleaner ice sheets. Can't say greener pastures, so let's just go with the hockey analogy. Um, so, But you've got great players that are coming in as freshmen that do have that scoring touch from the front and the back end. You also have one of the best defensive structures in the WCHA. So you've got great goaltending. You've got good, shall we say, five women presence in front of their goaltender. So the big thing is this group is going to have to assimilate really, really quick, right? We talked about it before, Noah, with team that's, um, shall we say, turnover. A good example, recently, St. Thomas on the men's side, right? They yep. had 19 new players come in. Um, their first half was a bit rough, but then again, that second half, they really started to pick it up. Um, unfortunately for the Bulldogs in this situation with the WCHA, they're probably going to have to try to do that a little bit quicker. I think if they yep. take some half a season, fourth place is going to be, I don't want to say a stretch, but it's there's going to be competition there. It's going to be much tighter, yep. Yeah. So, uh, but if they do, if these players, you know, produce the way that they believe that they will, the transfers, you know, they can get into the systems and, you know, get on the same page as everybody else quickly enough. Uh, this team should be right back at number four. The big thing is putting the puck in the net because, again, defensively, this team has always been solid. Historically, they have been. They've got great um, uh, coaches to help them with that. But at the end of the day, what separates the WCHA right now is the ability to put the puck in the net. Yeah, one of the most seasoned coaching staffs, too, and a great group to rely on, obviously, at that level. And I don't know what it is about Duluth. Apparently, the the hills in the winter in the middle of the city have not deterred uh, coaches from having long-standing tenures for both of these hockey programs. Maybe that's um, what it is, Noah, because they can't get out. <laughs> No matter, no matter. What, I think, I think the joke is, even if you're going up, you're going down. Like you're sliding out something, they just make it impossible for you to leave. I think that's yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll just let sleeping dogs lie where they lie. Um, but Ooh. speaking of the dogs, of course, uh, the Huskies have the Bulldogs this upcoming season. Before we get to our final question here, Nick, the Huskies Gourmet House Podcast, CenterizeView.com and Huskies Illustrated, your home for all things St. Cloud hockey, the latest news and photos for your favorite Huskies, and maybe even a Bulldog or two. Uh, always uh, loving that support. And of course, the Soda Pod. Stay wild and up to date with all things in the state of hockey. Um, Max Veach makes an appearance if you're a Bulldogs fan, by the way. Um, but what I 
Yeah, <laughs> that's all we're, the airtime we're going to give him. But the Bulldogs do have the Huskies four times in the WCHA calendar, once in the first half, once in the second half. What does St. Cloud need to do in a similar capacity this upcoming season where they're going to be at to finally get over the hump and handle a Duluth team that historically plays great in tight hockey games, plays really good uh, when the pressure kind of heats up, and they've really handled this Huskies team in recent years. So it's it's kind of taking their potential, right? Because we've talked about you know what they have replaced, but it's unproven, right? Uh, the one thing the Huskies did really well last year against some of these teams that had firepower, you frustrate them. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what the Huskies have to do here. Um, they have to, again, be really hard to blue paint. They got to make it very, very difficult uh, for the opposing offense to get into those uh, into the houses. We like to call it right into those high danger areas, uh, block shots and uh, more so challenge at the blue line. Right. There's one thing that with Brian Idolsky on the rush, um, the gaps, especially coming on blue line, they're stepping up and they're challenging them. And that means if you're a good hockey player, right, a smart. OK dump the puck in, but then your weak side defense is reading it. They're gathering up and you're back the other way in transition, right? Um, that's one way you can do it. But then also, again, kind of like what uh, AIC did to St. Cloud. I, yes, I did. Yes, I said it. But I mean, but just give them nothing, right? Um, with the younger forwards, right? Uh, the, I, I think it's easier for the emotions to get to them, right? Where, um, you know, defensive reads are better. You know, the deception is going to have to be different. And sometimes for a defensive team like St. Cloud has been last season under Brian Idolski, I think that, you know, the we they know each other very well, many of the programs do. Um, yeah. I think you can really exploit the youth that will be with the uh, UMD. And I think you can use that to create transition to create block shots and go the other way and just sort of kind of get under the skin where when they maybe have been used to having their way with scoring, it's going to become a lot more difficult than that could derail the systems and the opportunities that they're trying to create on offense and tire themselves out because all of a sudden now St. Cloud is driving back down your throat, um, either on an odd man rush or more so they're going to pull up, set up shop, and you've already been on the ice for 30 to 45 seconds. Now you're gassed, right? So to me, that's how you do it. You frustrate them, defense first, and then counter punch on the offensive side. Yeah, absolutely. And testing young goaltenders too, and not being afraid to get into the middle of the ice. And I think St. Cloud historically has had a difficult time with Duluth. Duluth just does a really good job of limiting chances with that defensive structure. I would agree wholeheartedly. And I think for St. Cloud becoming a great team in transition and on the rush, being able to have that quick strike capability, being able to create odd man rushes against this Bulldogs team. When they do that, um, they either create a grade A opportunity or they're able to uh, create essentially a cycle and keep Duluth hemmed in their own zone. So I think if you're the Huskies, uh, that is going to be the goal against this Bulldogs team who we have to pit, who we have picked to finish fourth in the WCHA. Nick, anything else you wanted to add about uh, the Bulldogs on the women's side? Uh, at the end of it, you know, I, I think we have them four, right? But I think when we do a deeper dive like this, they're not safe there. They're really not. Yep. Um, St. Cloud, again, is, is sort of on a teeter-totter a bit. Minnesota State. There's yep. a lot of wiggle room, I would say, even all the way down to seven, really, for seven through four to to have some movement there. And um, and as fans are going to find out, hint, hint, a little bit here, I think even moving into uh, number three in that spot is not exactly safe either in the WCHA, depending on a couple of factors that we see as well, too. Yeah, uh, I'm not as 
shall we say, cold or as uh, you know, sell you know, was it not bullish, bearish on on Wisconsin? You know, bullish. No, bullish would be like I'm trying to buy, bearish oh. I'm trying to sell. Anyway, get to the stock market. I I, I have no money. That's I know. Neither do I. So, but <laughs> Caleb certainly thinks I've got mountains of cash, even though I have not won a Powerball or a Mega Million. I, I I'm a night shift nurse, and I'll tell you what. I sit there at two o'clock in the morning and go, "Wow, look at all this money I don't have." Like right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I still think with Mark Johnson, I, I just still think that just with the systems that they run, they do create havoc for a lot of other teams of the WCHA. See, see, pro style see your first problem is assuming that we have Wisconsin at three. I'm not trying to give anything away. <laughs> just run with me here. Anyway, no, it, it's at the end of the day, um, I think uh, – for whatever, you know, because I, I know we're going with this, but whether it's Wisconsin, the Gophers, or Ohio State, let's put it this way, um, I think that those three are still going to be the top three. I'm, I'm not as sold that there's going to be movement. There's going to be movement within the top three. Right. I don't see one of those three teams falling below that. And if they do, it's, it's you know, it, there's, shall we say, there's other storylines around that more than, than just the the schedule and slash the right record. Yeah, certainly would agree. It's going to be fun. The, the WCHA, yeah. uh, like the NCHC, continues to close, and it's no longer a one or two horse race. You know, it's starting to really kind of open up a little bit, and we're starting to see some of those bottom teams make noise and move towards the middle of the pack too. And the WCHA, arguably um, the best conference in women's college hockey, so uh, very exciting to see what the Bulldogs can do. Wishing them the best of luck, of course, in everything they do, except against our St. Cloud Huskies. For Nick Maxson, I am Noah Grant, and we will see you soon for episode 174 here in the Den. And your one-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies along. In for a chance to win it, he scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner! St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.